Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to work for SportsIllustrated.com? We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 67 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The New York Yankees retired Derek Jeter's number two this past Sunday to recognize his 20-year career in pinstripes. The captain contributed to one of the most successful dynasties in baseball history on the field, but let's not forget the dynasty he built off of it. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of... Sports news read like real news. Now batting for the Yankees, number two, Derek Jeter, number two. Derek Jeter was one of the greatest players in New York Yankees history and retired after 20 seasons in pinstripes with a laundry list worth of accomplishments. From individual successes to overall team glory, the captain's time with the Bronx Bombers will long be remembered as one of the greatest dynasties in baseball history. But as impressive as the dynasty was on the field, so too was the dynasty that Jeter was a part of off of it. Jeter not only left the game of baseball with a legendary resume, he left the game of dating with a legendary little black book and a trail of gift packages in his wake. 
The bright lights and ruthless tabloids of New York can wreak havoc on athletes and celebrities alike, if even a toe steps out of line. Once the rumor mill gets churning, it could mean curtains for a reputation. In a social media-fueled world, the social lives of athletes are well documented, either by the tabloids or by themselves. But even when Derek Jeter dipped his toe into the social media waters, creating the Players' Tribune as a way for athletes to directly publish first-person stories, the skeletons that may reside in the captain's closet remain kept away. That includes his coveted dating Rolodex, with names that would even make Wilt Chamberlain sweat, that could spin a tale of romance that Nicholas Sparks could never even dream of. Chapter 1 began way back in 1996, when Jeter would win the American League Rookie of the Year and the Yankees would win their first World Series in almost two decades. He would also win the affection of Mariah Carey, then in her prime in the music world. It would be understandable to have a fall from grace after dating the Queen of Pop, but we're only just getting started. There was feelings for Laura Dutta, who won Miss Universe in 2000. There was Joy Enriquez, who briefly dated Alex Rodriguez, who reportedly was the one that introduced Joy to Derek. There was Jordana Brewster, star of As the World Turns soap opera, who broke onto the scene in the film The Fast and the Furious. There was Vanessa Manillo, former Miss Teen USA and famed host of MTV's TRL when they still played music. There were flings with Jessica Alba, Scarlett Johansson, Tyra Banks, Victoria's Secret supermodel Adriana Lima, and 7th Heaven superstar Jessica Biel. In 2008, the plot thickened, and a romance began with Minka Kelly, the star as Lila Garrity in Friday Night Lights. Jeter would win his fifth World Series in 2009, while Minka would be named Esquire's Sexiest Woman Alive in 2010. There were rumors of an engagement, but Derek's longest relationship to date unfortunately came to an end in 2011. With Jeter moving into the tail end of his playing career, would the breakup also mean his days playing the field were on a downturn as well? Don't call it a comeback. Derek finished the 2012 season with the most hits in the MLB. Around the same time, a relationship was rumored with Hannah Davis, who was featured inside the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue in 2013 at 23. She would also go on to make its cover just two years later. Love was indeed in the air, though somehow kept out of the public eye. Hannah could be seen next to Derek's parents at several Yankees games during his final season, including his final game in pinstripes, though cameras often cropped her out of the frames. The romance remained after his retirement in 2014, until Jeter was officially off the market in July two years later, when the two tied the knot, closing the book of one of the grandest love stories in sports history, while also adding the final piece to the Derek Jeter dating diamond. 
Sure, there were plenty of others who would come and go. Rumored to have left in a rented car with a handful of signed Derek Jeter memorabilia to remember the night by. Though assuredly a rumor, there's no arguing that when it came to dating, Derek Jeter certainly did it his way. Derek and Hannah Jeter are expecting their first child very soon, as could be seen firsthand at Derek's number retirement ceremony. Yeah, Jeets. Notably absent from those festivities this past Sunday, however, was a scorned lover who sought Derek's affection and acceptance for many years, who even went as far as to stand next to him for several hours every night at the ballpark, hoping for at least a passing glance. Instead, Alex Rodriguez spent his Sunday dining with Jennifer Lopez who surprisingly did not make it onto Derek Jeter's list. At least, not that we're aware of. I'm John Lund, for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to binge-watch Friday Night Lights. When we come back, we'll talk to a writer for SportsIllustrated.com about working in sports media and some topical things from doing so in New York. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know... Who was the winner and loser of the NBA draft lottery and why? The NBA playoffs has about as much juice as a prune would early in the conference finals, and since ping pong balls brought more drama to the sport this week, we'll avoid that topic altogether. Instead, we were joined by Jimmy Traina, who is a writer for SportsIllustrated.com. Jimmy has worked with SI for almost a couple of decades now and has a strong voice behind their extra mustard and hot clicks pages, which combined sports and pop culture in a unique way. We'll talk about how he broke into the sports media business, as well as some of his main responsibilities in the state of sports media altogether before getting into some of his favorite talking points that include the Yankees and Derek Jeter, Seinfeld, Howard Stern, and the Pope, Mike Francesa. You can read his work daily in his Train of Thoughts column on SI.com and also follow him on Twitter. He's at Jimmy Traina, that's J-I-M-M-Y-T-R-A-I-N-A. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Jimmy Traina. He is a writer for SI.com and was kind enough to join the show. Jimmy, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Lots to get into on an array of different things. I wanted to start by turning the clock back a little bit and have you take a deep breath and try to take us through a Cliff Notes version, if you will, of how you ended up getting into sports media, going all the way back to your days interning at WFAN. Um, wow. 
so long ago now, it's hard to remember. But I, I always wanted to get into, I mean, when I was in college, I was actually a broadcasting major. I thought I would, I thought I was going to be the uh, play-by-play man for the New York Yankees. Um, but timing being everything in life, uh, the internet sort of is, was in its infancy when I was in college, and and uh, timing was perfect. So I did an internship at, F- at WFAN. I did it. I worked at a local radio station on Long Island doing newscasts. I worked at the uh, at Scorephone before they had the internet. People would actually call a phone number to get scores. Uh, then I worked at the Associated Press. Made a kind of, made a friend there, and uh, who had ended up leaving Associated Press to work at Sports Illustrated when they had an opening. He let me know. I interviewed and got a job there in 2000. So we're going back a little bit to sort of the infancy of one of the main things that you were behind, which was Hot Clicks. And that was a combination of pop culture and sports along with Extra Mustard, which is still around today and does include Hot Clicks, though if you search for that, it's more literal now and featuring swimsuit models and the like, which is nothing wrong with that. A little bit different from when you started. We're so used to that mindset now and getting that type of information when it comes to a crossover. Was Hot Clicks one of the biggest games in town when it came to that coverage when you guys started that up? Well, I mean, uh, when it first started, no. I mean, we started from nothing, but I mean... The big lead was around, and Deadspin was around, and what I saw that was around, which was a big influence on me, was TMZ and Perez Hilton. I sort of saw where people were going, what people were interested in. Uh, those four sites were sort of like the basis for me, throwing every, putting all that together, and then coming up with the idea for for Hot And it was also just, you know, Sports Illustrated uh, back then. It's a lot different now, but back then. It was a very serious, journalistic, straightforward sports, highbrow kind of thing. And I wanted to just do something that reflected how me and my friends talk about sports and pop culture. And that was another factor in all of it. Did it take any time for you guys to be accepted in a way? You do mention Sports Illustrated had that mindset of here's how we're going to deliver sports news. And what you were doing was in a way a little bit the opposite of that. You have to go to 200 or 300 tabloid sites every day to get your content. How long did it take for people to sort of look around and say, wow, this is really something that's working? Um, Well, very, 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 very fortunately, the, the readers... Uh, picked up on it quickly, and traffic really grew and grew and grew from day one, and it took off. And you know, after basically a year, um, you know, my boss went from wanting hot clicks on the site once a day to wanting wanting it twice a day, and the demand was there for it, and the readers came through uh, in a big way for me, and um, that sort of took off. As for acceptance. At Sports Illustrated, I mean, that was a little bit of a different story. I think, um, obviously, people at the website accepted it right away. The people who worked at the magazine, uh, not so much. But, you know, I guess traffic was what it was. So, basically, they, you know, they were forced to keep it around. 
I know you made the switch, I believe, about four years ago to go to Fox Sports. Was it difficult for you to make that decision and leaving something that you had worked at so long and a project that you had helped build at SI? Yes, it was very difficult. Um, very, very difficult. It wasn't so much... It, it, it was difficult to leave Sports Illustrated. It wasn't as difficult to leave Hotflix. Um, just because, I mean, I loved doing Hotflix and I loved the, the juice that it brought and the, and the readers and the interaction and, and I was able to do what I wanted, but I had done Hotflix for seven years. I was sort of burnt out from doing them. And I also felt that I saw things changing with Twitter and the way content is consumed. And I, I didn't know if that format, um, you know, really held up as well as it used to. So it was just one of those things where it was time for a change. And it was more difficult to leave Sports Illustrated than, than leave Hot Clicks, if that makes any sense. When Fox decided to have a makeover, if you will, for its digital side and got rid of some people, including yourself, with the recent news of, say, what ESPN did, was it similar in a way where it was a sudden type of decision where you weren't really expecting it, or how did that end up coming about? Well, I was I knew there was going to be layoffs. Um, I wasn't exactly expecting myself to be one of them, um, but there were a lot of factors. I mean, they were. I worked from home in New York, and they're in L.A., and it was a management uh, change a few months prior. So it was sort of the perfect storm. Um, so I, I knew there were going to be layoffs. I was surprised I was one of them, but you know, that's, it's a, it's digital media, digital sports media. It's a, uh, volatile business right now. Can we view your return to SI similar to maybe the prodigal son, just to give it some sort of great <laughs> biblical type of comeback? <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but it, it, it for me per I mean I don't know how people at Sports Illustrated feel about it, but for me personally it was definitely it it, it still does today it, it does feel like a a going home type of thing that is where I should be that is where I belong and it was pretty much the case all along except now you got to get back on the train every day <laughs> yes that, nothing nothing in life comes without some obstacles and the Long Island Railroad is mine. I'm sure your role is similar to how it was when you left. And I'm sure there's more new responsibilities that you have now. Could you describe what the typical day is like, what your week is like now with SI? Well, it is a little different because, um, you know, I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a good, they kept they did a good job keep hot clicks going. Andy Gray is a good friend of mine. He took it over when I left. He's still doing it to this day, but he's a busy guy who's got a lot of responsibilities there. So it was tough for him to do it twice a day. So they sort of, uh, I'm doing a daily column called train the thoughts, uh, which gets posted every day about noon. And, um, it's sort of filling the void a little bit of the PM hot clicks. It's very similar. I, you know, they're good again about this is why I love being there. They give me free reign if I want to come out and, you know, go off about something. I can do that. If I want to just start off with, you know, a funny video, if I want to start off with like, gambling odds on something, I can pretty much do what I want. I try to hit on 
you know, the news of the day and, and what's going on uh, currently. It's, you know, it's, it's a crazy business because what people want is stuff that's current and newsy, but it's all out there on Twitter and social media so quickly that it feels like everything has a shelf life of about 10 minutes. So, um, it's, 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 it's a difficult time now, uh, to sort of, you know, be on top of things, the way to make an impact. So we're trying to do, I'm also trying to, in addition to that stuff, do more fun, featurey, lighthearted stuff. Um, I did a thing, the top 50 catchphrases in wrestling history. Um, you know, um, we did a thing on, uh, you know, I like if something, if news breaks, you know, what's the reaction on Twitter? You know, what are people saying? How are people reacting? That type of stuff. You know, Tom Brady posted a funny Facebook video. You know, what what are Tom Brady's 10 funniest Facebook videos? So we're trying to do more. So I'm doing a combination of the sort of news and up-to-the-moment social media stuff and then bigger picture pieces as well. Would you like to tell the listeners what the number one wrestling phrase of all time to you is? I believe it's, if you smell what the rock is cooking. I didn't know if you were going to go full impression of Dwayne Johnson, maybe a little eyebrow. I, I, I would not try to ever, ever emulate someone as great as the rock. Well, if we can hit on Dwayne Johnson briefly, you were supposed to interview him last week, if I'm correct, for his new movie, well, Baywatch, right? I, I wasn't supposed to. I was invited to. Um, but it, the the interview would have taken place in Miami. So that was an obstacle. And it was on Saturday, uh, which is my dad's birthday. And, you know, I... Uh, I like to make sure I spend the day with him these days when it's his birthday. So it just, you know, didn't work out from that whole standpoint. But I did leave you an open invitation that you'll chat again one day. So there's nothing wrong with that. We'll see. We'll see about that. Hopefully, hopefully we, there was talk of possibly doing a a phone interview and then that didn't come through. Um, But we'll see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully something happens one of these days. When it comes to writing for SportsIllustrated.com, the digital side instead of the magazine side, you've already hit on a couple things that you're able to do on a day-to-day basis. What do you like most about that aspect on the digital side of things and not writing for the magazine side of things? Well, it's more about just what my skill set is. Um, I'm not really a writer in terms of what a Sports Illustrated writer is. And I do like, I, I never wanted to, this is one of the, one of the blessings about working at Sports Illustrated both in both of my times there is I never really wanted to do the straight sports stuff. You know, I, you know, why, you know, why Derek Jeter is underrated, why Derek Jeter is overrated, why, you know, LeBron, what is LeBron's legacy? That That's not for me. I, I like more of the fun, lighthearted, you know, the rock's going to run for president. I like, you know, what, uh, you know, they're funny YouTube videos, you know, what what is Gronkowski doing in, in this club? And I, I like that stuff. So it was really just what my skill set really is. On that same token, you said in the past your dream job would be not having to work and not having to have a dream job. But since you have to do it, is this in the ballpark of a dream job because you have that yes. freedom and you're able to work on projects and there's not as many regulations you have to deal with? 
Yes. Yeah, so listen, I, I think no matter what job anybody has, they, they, everybody, no matter what your job is, what your salary is, everyone has rough days. And when I have a rough day, I just remind myself, look what I'm doing for a living. I'm writing about, you know, Rob Gronkowski, you know, spiking a watermelon or something, you know, it could be a lot worse. So, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, would I say it's the dream, the dream job would be if it was, you know, maybe a 10 minute drive from my house. But other than that, it, it's, it's, it's up there for sure. You've got a pretty good relationship with Richard Deitch of SI Media Podcast fame. How much fun has it been to join back up with him every week or so and just talk about the media world and some more lighthearted things going on? Um, well, we actually taped a podcast this afternoon, as a matter of fact. Um, Richard, though, unfortunately, Richard, he doesn't come into the office every day. He comes in maybe like once a week. So it's a little bit of a bummer, but when he's there, you know, we we go back and forth between having a very adult, rational conversation about sports media. And then I'm usually trying to push his buttons and get him upset. Is there a duo you can compare the two of you to either on radio <laughs> or television? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I can answer that question. You don't want to make a man yeah, Richard, at you too, right? No, I mean, Richard has a unique, you know, Richard definitely thinks he's better than me. And, he definitely thinks he's smarter than me, and you know, it, the funny thing is, he does agree with a lot of what I have to say, but he always prefaces it, prefaces it with, you know, I can't believe I'm going to agree with you. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, back and forth banter, but it's all, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, we we are friends, we do like each other, and we just like to have fun. Well, since I plan to hit on Francesa later in our interview, maybe we could say that. The early days of Mike and the dog. Mike trying to take the upper hand on dog, though he agreed with him at times. Maybe that's a little bit of a comparison for you guys. I would hope I have a little more. I have a better sense of humor and and don't take myself as seriously as Mike. (laughs) I don't know if I like that comparison. Going back to ESPN briefly, since that's become a huge mm-hmm. sports media topic of late that you've had to discuss, we know of the 100-plus yep. workers that were let go a couple weeks ago, and the apparent direction they're now taking with their product, there's an announcement of what 2018 might look like, including Mike Greenberg's new morning show, ESPN moving Sports Center to ESPN2, at least in the morning, what have been your thoughts on what's been happening with the four letter network, whether that's good or bad? Well, I mean, they're trying to figure out what works in this, in this age where people consume things differently. Um, the days of people getting the highlights from sports center just are over, um, because of the internet, obviously, and social media. And the fact that there's also, I think an underrated part of this story is that they're also the, the niche networks. I know when I flip on the TV in the morning, I put on the MLB Network to get the highlights from the night before. During the football season, you know, NFL Network is, is a huge player in all this. So I think ESPN is just trying to figure out what programming will, will get people to the television. And, um, you know, and they also, you know, there's a thought that, you know, ESPN is dying. ESPN is not dying. They're very healthy. They still make tons of money. They're just not making the money that Disney would want them to make. So I think some of the narrative around ESPN gets a little ridiculous, but I mean, they're fine. And, you know, they're just trying to figure out what kind of daytime programming people would tune in for. I don't know why I keep bringing Mike Francesa into this, but 
does the mindset of someone at SI view ESPN sort of like Boomer and Carton might view Mike Francesa's show? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think we do. I don't really look at them as. I mean, they're the you know top dog when it comes to sports television. Their network and they air games. I mean, SI doesn't have a you know they're not hooked in with a TV station and. So I don't look at it as a competition type of thing. Um, you know, I, I, they're on the, they're like almost like a sports league in a way. I mean, that's how they, they're like another league, basically. That's how big they are. With print journalism continuing to lose a little bit of steam year after year, with more sports news coming from online blogs, even going back to the days, as you mentioned, when Deadspin came around, other online publications. How do you view that side of sports media, how it's evolved, whether it wanted to or not? And with that online voice, does that sort of give you a little bit of competition in a way to keep up on your side of things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's more about it's more about how to get people to read your stuff, I think, than anything. And, you know, we're living in a time where people get their information on their phone. and how do you get people very, you know, I and mean, we all do it. Think about how you use your phone. You just, you just, yeah, you, you're using your thumb or your index finger and you're moving it, moving it, moving it, scroll, 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 scroll. And it's very hard to get someone to actually click a link on the phone as opposed to, you know, before the phone, before Twitter, people would actually be on their computer, their laptop and go to, you know, go to their bookmarks and go to FA.com and check, multiple things on the site. It's very hard now it's to get someone's attention. And I, that's more of the battle than reporting and journalism and it's getting people to consume your content. That is that is the number one battle for every site right now. Now, I don't want to call you old. I'll call you seasoned old, in sports worry. media. Seasoned is a better way to look at it, I think. How do you think you've been able to keep evolving with the evolution of technology, of sports media, and keep up with everything since you first started? Well, luckily, I, I may be old, but I'm not mature. So I think that I still have a decent grasp on what interests people. And that, that was really always the key, I think. Of, I mean, what I try to do with Hot Clicks is, and I should, should be doing a better job of it now, and I've been thinking about this, is more engagement with the audience, more making it, you know, you want it to be, you know, when you, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have a daily piece on a website, you almost want it to be like a, a family and, and get people involved and, and make it almost, you know, a, a community type of thing. I think that's important. Um, but you, you need to know what people care about, what people are interested in. And just staying on top of that is really is really the key. And, you know, I, I, my friends, I, you know, I listen to what my friends here want to hear about I, family members, younger family members. And, um, you know, you just have to really just keep your eyes and ears open at all times and see what people are reacting to. So as I mentioned, I have to touch on the four topics you have listed in your Twitter description, which goes Seinfeld, Howard Stern, Francesa, and the Yankees. Since I'm a Yankees fan, since Derek Jeter was enshrined in Monument Park on Sunday, I guess we should start there. You tweeted this on Sunday, and I think there's really something to it. You said what his monument really should say is benefited greatly from being in his prime pre-social media and camera phones. Could you elaborate a little bit on that in a little bit more than 140 characters? Well, 
I mean, I think, listen, just look at what's happened to Matt Harvey. Um, you know, Matt Harvey came up, and it was a big deal, came on strong, and then there were, like, incidents along the way, you know, posted a picture of himself giving the finger while he was getting Tommy John surgery, and that became a, a thing with the Mets, and, you know, he's at Ranger Games with a different model all the time, and the pictures end up at page six, and this whole latest drama. You know, Jeter was able to avoid all that. Now, listen... Jeter may have been smart enough where he could have avoided it even in the social media and camera phone age. You never really know. But it, it was one thing he didn't have to deal with. And I think, I mean, look at that. When I tweeted that, it was half in jest. I think every single athlete who played before social media and camera phones should thank their lucky stars and, you know, be very grateful for that. Well, I'm sure you got to hang around the locker room at some times with the Yankees. I know you have a picture with a much younger Derek Jeter with hair than he looks now. Do you think he was one of the last athletes to get the respect or maybe the mutual agreement from the sports media that they used to hold with older athletes, meaning we know reporters used to hang out with athletes as friends. They'd go to the bar after the game. They would see and hear things that they probably shouldn't report on and didn't do so, whereas now that's pretty much completely reversed. Everybody needs to get the story. They want the picture of so-and-so at the club. They want to have the breaking news of what they're up to. Was it similar in maybe people just let him go a little bit when it came to the tabloids of New York? Because we know he was doing a lot of partying, a lot of fun, no. but it didn't get out of hand. Well, I mean, that's the thing. First of all, I don't, I don't know if we do know that. I mean, he, you know, there's a, I think there's a difference between going to a club and partying. I mean, I don't know, you know, we don't know if he was out till five in the morning. We don't, we don't know what he was doing. And I think, and I think that's because I, I just think he was very good at, at behaving. And I think he was very good at, I mean, listen, if, if if a writer, sports writer, tabloid writer, whoever, if they had dirt on Derek Jeter, they would have posted it, published it. So I just think he gave them, he was very good about giving them nothing. Do you have any fun anecdotes if you were ever able to be roaming around the team during your SI days, especially around the heyday of what was the Yankees dynasty when all those guys I mean, were around? Yeah, I mean, I really, I wasn't in the locker room. I I did get to interview him twice in person and I think twice on the phone. And he was always gracious. And, um, you know, one of the first time I interviewed him in person, he was dating Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights. And I tried to ask a question about that and got nowhere. And <laughs> he was actually, he said, he goes, you know, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, I'm not going to answer that question. And and then I said, all right, let's talk about TV. I'm like, who's your favorite character on Friday Night Lights? And he laughed. And, you know, hey, listen, he, you knew what, you know, you weren't going to get him to, to break. If he didn't want to talk about something, he wasn't going to talk about it. That's just the way it was. Well, his favorite Friday Night Lights character shouldn't have been Minka Kelly's character, if we're really going to be serious about that show, right? <laughs> well, but he was dating her at the time, so if he wanted to keep things cool on that front he could have lied and you know right he could have made it easy but i mean there's a yeah. long-haired gentleman in that show that 
I really enjoy named Tim Riggins. So if he had answered Tim Riggins, I don't think anybody would have mattered too much either. No, I don't think I don't think anyone would have had a problem with that. He said on Sunday that he wouldn't trade his life with any past athlete or present athlete. If you're including everything in the life of Derek Jeter, that goes with his family to what he was able to do on the field, to what he was able to do off the field, away from the public eye. Is there an athlete that you would trade your life with that's not named Derek Jeter? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, listen, I, I, I think if you said LeBron James, I mean, what LeBron James does, does on a basketball court is way more impressive than what Derek Jeter has done on the baseball field. Right, but um, there was the pressure for LeBron that you would have to deal with, that outside pressure no, of everybody being on him. There's also pressure. I mean, there's pressure in New York. I mean, in New York, you know, a regular season loss in July against the Brewers turns into a big deal. So, you know, Tom Brady's lived a fun life. Rob Gronkowski, even, he's been injured a lot, but he looks like he knows that I have a good time. So, I, and they, listen, I think I can come up with a few athletes who – I could see having maybe better lives than Jeter, but uh, you know, if you're Derek Jeter, you have absolutely no no complaints whatsoever. He's doing okay, is what we could say. Yeah, I think he sleeps well at night. When it comes to broadcasting side of things, is Howard Stern up there? If you were to go into radio, someone that you would want to quote unquote switch lives with? Well, I don't know how he. I don't know how he did a show at six a.m. every day for. 30 years, basically. But, you know, there was a nice payoff when he left for Sirius and he got a $500 million contract. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would I would upgrade to that. But, you know, he, he was an innovator. He, he redefined radio. He did it his way. Uh, you know, I, he would never actually say that his life was always great. But I, I, think, he, uh, I think he's sitting pretty right now. I remember sneakily watching his show when I was early teens on the E! Network, when it was on at midnight or 1 a.m., and he has strippers running around the studio, and the typical Howard Stern shtick that people would say about him back then, whereas now, I don't know if he's become more refined because he's always been great at what he does, but people now sort of know him as the go-to interviewer for big-name guests. For his evolution, do you appreciate more what he does now, or do you miss the days of how things used to be? How do you view what his show has evolved into? Well, I mean, I'm glad he evolved because he's, you know, he was a 63 year old man throwing baloney covered in mayonnaise at a woman's behind. <laughs> it would be pretty creepy and pathetic. So I think it's a positive that he's evolved and, and isn't the same way he was when he was 30 years old. I, you know, I wish he did more shows. I mean, he's only on three days a week and he takes a lot of vacation time. So, um, from a selfish standpoint, I wish that wasn't the case, but if I was him, I would do the same exact thing as well. (laughs) If they're going to give you the time, you take the time. That's a show. And look what happened when he took a sick day unannounced. It was like the world had ended for a brief time period. Well, that's because he's made a big deal about, you know, anytime anyone on his staff takes a day off, he says there's no reason to ever basically take a day off. So, Any similarities to your work on Scorephone to Kramer's work when he was part of Movie Phone? 
the only thing that was similar was plugging into a phone. That was about it. And I was legit on my Kramer. Do you remember what your pitch was for that? I'm sure there might have been something that you had to repeatedly say when you were coming on every 15 minutes. I, I you know, God, it was so long ago. I think it was. I, I think we would just come on and say, you know, I think we maybe started with like the next update is at you know 8:45, and then I would read every score, and then you know, I think I would just say to the Jimmy Trader for score phone. What a time to be alive. Movie phone, score phone, a much different time for the youths that might be listening to us. Do you have a favorite character that maybe is a little bit more against the grain than the core four for Seinfeld? I mean, it's hard to say there'd be a character who would top any of the core four. I mean, that's not going to happen. But, I mean, I did love, I loved his dad and, and his mom. Um, they, were, they were just perfect for the show. Now, The Rock has taken over the pinned tweet on your profile in place of George Costanza's most famous That's quote. That's only because the Costanza tweet was a Vine video, and Vine went out of business, and the tweet didn't, and the Vine didn't exist anymore. That's right. So you want to refresh everybody I, what that was? Because it might come back later on. It was the clip of George telling, encouraging Jerry and telling Jerry in the diner, it's not a lie if you believe it. That's right. And I had posted that before Donald Trump became president. So that, that was my thin tweet long before that. But when Vine went out of business, the, the, the video of it went away. So I had been meaning to like get another video of it. But So I put the rock up there temporarily, and then George will be back one of these days. As Yankees fans, George teaching Derek and Bernie how to hit is obviously up there for a favorite episode. What stands out to you as one that's up on the top echelon for one of the best shows that they've done? The the, the episode I always I love is when they go to the dinner party and Jerry and Elaine are in the bakery getting the babka and Jerry throws up and there's a hair in the babka and the cinnamon babka and... The, and Kramer and George are in the liquor store, and he's got the Gore-Tex jacket. And I mean, the episode starts with them in Jerry's apartment, and George is all annoyed because he can't bring ring dings and Pepsi. And to me, one of the great lines in the series is he's making his pitch to bring ring dings and Pepsi, and Elaine's telling him they can't, and he's saying, why not? If I bring ring dings and Pepsi, I'm the head of the party. Why can't I bring it? And she just, the way Julia Louis-Dreyfus delivered the line, I can't do it justice, but the way she delivered the line, she just said, he says, why can't we bring ring things and Pepsi? And she says, because we're adults. I just, it kills me every time. <laughs> and then they're in the liquor store, and he's knocking over the, and then they go to buy the, Kramer needs to break a 50, and they get the penthouse for him, and the clock bar, and the newspaper, and George is mad because he's got to break a 100. I mean, there's so many, the minutiae in that episode is so good. There's so many, so many things in that episode. A loaded question. How difficult yep. was it for you when they decided to cancel Seinfeld, really at its peak, and then now for some of the solo stuff that's been done with Larry David and Julia Louis-Dreyfus on HBO, are you a fan of what they're doing now post-Seinfeld life? And Jerry with Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee as well. Well, I mean, I think Veep is the funniest show on TV, and I think she's actually better on Veep than she was on Seinfeld. She is brilliant on that show. Um, I do love comedians in cars getting coffee. I loved, loved, loved the reunion that they did on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and I do feel like, you know, Seinfeld went away, and then Curb Your Enthusiasm came along, and it was just like Seinfeld. So 
it worked out perfectly from that standpoint. There was like no, no void. So do you think that Mike and the Mad Dog will get together once again once Mike's contract comes up at the end of this year? My prediction is that I think they'll team up for like maybe like a Friday afternoon, either Mike with Dog on Sirius or maybe they release a podcast on Fridays and they do like, they're very big into the football Friday. It was always a big deal on their show where they would do their NFL picks and I think you're going to see them do something like that, maybe like a two-hour-a-week deal, maybe an hour show on MSG on TV. I think you'll see maybe a one- or two-hour show somewhere, um, and that'll be it. Well, we'll have it here first if that breaks. You heard it here first before the <laughs> summer even hit. I'm able to listen to Dog on Sirius for pretty much every day, and I'm sure you're still listening to Mike on the fan driving around through New York or wherever you might be. But there's been events more recently at Radio City when they got back together. They've been doing some simulcasts on their own shows where you just get to hear them again, how great that they are together. Not saying that they're not as good alone, but there's just something about when they're in the same room, they both just come alive. Have you noticed that, especially now when they've been getting back together? Absolutely. The chemistry is still there. And, you know, Mike is normally very, very down and sour on his show. And he's like a different person when he's with, when he's with dogs. So I, I think, I think they could pick up and do a show anytime they wanted, basically. And, and, and without missing a beat. Lastly, who is your vote to take Mike's spot on the fan? It's <sighs> a good question. I mean, I can't really can't really say that like I have someone I want to listen to but I mean there's so many options these days now with podcasts what they are and you know it's I I don't I honestly don't know who I would want to see in that spot I mean I want it to be a New Yorker I wouldn't want it to be someone who's like a national guy I can't say that like you know I have a a pick who I I I can't say there's anyone I can I can pick who I would listen to every single day I think uh I think that would be hard but I don't know. I, if someone has a name, I, I'd have to, you know, I could tell you if I think that'd be good or bad, but I can't say that I have a, a, a pick. It'll certainly be interesting. And I'm in a way looking forward to the looking back type of things that are going to be happening as that date grows closer. I'm sure there'll be best of shows and pomp and circumstance well-deserved. So looking forward to that and the 30 for 30 coming out as well in July. I was lucky enough to see it. It's excellent. Any Mike of the Mad Dog fan will enjoy it thoroughly. Beautiful. That's good to hear. Do you have any projects that you have coming up, whether that's in the next couple of days or in a couple of weeks, that you'd like to tease out to anyone? Um, I don't want to tease anything out. I'm hoping to have an announcement soon on something, but I don't want to say anything yet. And just, you know, check SI.com every day around noon for my daily column, Train of Thoughts, or just, you know, follow me on Twitter, and it's there every day as well. Yeah, I'll have all your contact information where people can find you in the show notes and they can keep track of what you're up to on a day-to-day basis, keeping us having a good time with what's going on in the world of sports. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure just getting to hear about what you've been through throughout your career and a little bit more topical things in the world of sports, which is always fun. Keep up the good work with everything you've been doing. It's been great to have you back on SI and continued success moving forward. Thank you very much. It's very nice of you to say, and I appreciate that. I really, it does mean a lot when people say that, so thank you.
We'll close out the show with America's fastest growing sports segment called Good Try, Good Effort. Here we'll briefly mention some of the instances from throughout the week when a team or player or coach meant well but didn't quite meet those expectations. Just one for this week. Good try, good effort. To Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Brady was chosen as the cover for Madden 18 Goat Edition, which is certainly well-deserved, but should also come with some added fear for New England Patriots fans, since those that grace the cover of the Madden games almost always end up with a season to forget that year. Brady, however, is not a believer of the curse and released two videos just to show how sure he is. Look, I think it's safe to say we've gone a bit overboard. There's no curse and there's no need for this bubble. This thing's ridiculous. Chase, I know it's only your second week here, man. I love the effort and I love your creativity. But come on, guys, a TB12 performance safety bubble? The past two weeks of my life have sucked. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't even train. We're better than this. You're better than this. We started TB12 to change the way we take care of our bodies, to help people achieve and sustain their peak performance, whatever that means in their lives to keep people on the field. I'll tell you this, if I'm gonna play till I'm 65. 70. 70. I'm gonna play till I'm 75. It's because I'm willing to fight and die for my right to play this game. Look, we're a team, look around. We've been at this for 15 years. You guys are my day ones. I love you. If you guys wanna believe in curses, get the hell out. There's the door right now, get out. Uh-uh. I'm not leaving. But not here. Not over here. Not at TV 12. Now, Chase, yeah. get me out of this freaking bubble, man. I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be on the cover of Madden NFL 18. Now, I've heard there are some of you out there who might be worried about something called the Madden curse. There's no such things as curses. It's a total myth, okay? feel like you're not really getting it. See? All good. No curse. All good. We got this. Really, Tom? How about you tell that to Garrison Hurst, the first victim way back for Madden 99? Tell that to Barry Sanders, Dorsey Levins, Eddie George. Dante Culpepper, Marshall Falk, Michael Vick, Ray Lewis, Donovan McNabb, Sean Alexander, Vince Young, Brett Favre, Troy Palomalu. Tell it to Drew Brees. Tell it to Peyton Hillis. Don't tell it to Calvin Johnson, however, because Megatron was finally able to break the curse when he made the cover for Madden 2013 and went out and had a record-setting season in 2012. But Barry Sanders was once again put on the cover for Madden 25 for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, with Adrian Peterson making it on to the other versions. The curse 
has returned. Just ask Rob Gronkowski about last season. Up to this point, Tom Brady has managed to defeat Father Time, or at least keep him at bay for now. But Tom, do you really think you can defeat John Madden too? That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes and even more content of The Bridge every Friday night. And also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll take a look around the NBA playoffs, dive into some Major League Baseball, dabble with some NFL, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.